From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 31. We're going to dig deep into the darker side of the supplement industry and also have some practical recommendations from someone who's super qualified and lives in the trenches of this world every day working with athletes. So we're really excited for it. Today's episode is brought to you by Mark Pro. If you're a baseball pitcher, you know that keeping your arm healthy is essential. But with high training volumes on top of games, that's not always easy. Overuse is a significant problem for players at every level of baseball right now. Certainly, we see shoulder and elbow injuries as some of the most common overuse injuries in baseball. And as an example, at the professional level, a UCL injury can result in an average of 17.2 months out of competition. That's a huge deal also if you're a young player and you miss out on a lot of development. So really, at the end of the day, there are three ways that we can combat overuse. First, you can reduce the workload, and certainly there's been a lot of research out there on pitch counts. Second, and this is the theme of these podcasts, is that you can build a significant level of strength and fitness to prepare yourself. However, a third key approach that's often overlooked is that you can work to improve your recovery so that you can safely display your fitness day in and day out. And that's really where the Mark Pro is an effective tool. Some athletes will even use it to warm up their arms before they throw as well. Mark Pro is a cutting-edge EMS device that uses patented technology to create non-fatiguing muscle activation, and this is what separates it from other recovery tools. Muscle activation with Mark Pro facilitates each stage of the body's natural recovery process, similar to active recovery, but without the extra muscular effort and fatigue. Athletes can use it for as long as they need to ensure a more full and quick recovery in between training or games. With its portability and ease of use, players can use Mark Pro while traveling between games or while relaxing at home. We have players that use it all the time on team flights to bounce back while they're just chilling on that flight. Um, we have plenty of pro guys that use this. In fact, every ML team and over 200 pro pitchers are regularly using Mark Pro. Um, put it to the test for yourself now with their new Try Before You Buy program. And you can use the promo code Cressy at checkout for 10% off at markpro.com. Again, that's Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y, at checkout for 10% off at markpro.com, M-A-R-C-P-R-O.com. Today's guest is the owner of Elite Sports Nutrition, a private practice based out of Lincoln, Nebraska. Since founding her company in 2014, she has worked with hundreds of high school, college, and professional athletes in Major League Baseball, the National Hockey League, and the National Football League. She's also worked as a nutrition consultant for the Nebraska volleyball team. She's board certified specialist in sports dietetics and a certified exercise physiologist. She received her master's degree in nutrition and physical performance from St. Louis University and a dual bachelor's degree in exercise science and dietetics from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Her experience and recipes have been featured in national publications including Men's Journal, Muscle and Fitness, The Food Network, Shape Magazine, Runner's World, and NBC News. While she works with competitive athletes in a variety of sports, her primary clientele is baseball players. Her husband, Cody, is a professional baseball player, so she understands the difficulties these athletes in particular face when it comes to handling nutrition in season. Please welcome to the show, Angie Ash. Welcome to the show, Angie. Hi, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. I am very excited for this um, because <laughs> I think this is a good you know, kind of conversation to have because you're not just a nutritionist, right? You are also, you know, you have your, you're heavily entrenched in the baseball world. You know this world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You've, you've lived it um, as a wife, having seen what minor leaguers eat, what big leaguers eat, what the, tra- <laughs> the travel demands throw on people. And, and you obviously do a lot of stuff in the college setting as well. So you'll see it from a, a bunch of different settings. But um, you know, I think the, the supplements topic is the best place to go when we really want to like hone in on this. Um, and you're obviously well-versed in a wide variety of nutritional realms, but, um, let's definitely start by speaking broadly on this. How bonkers does it drive you when people ask about supplements before they <laughs> even talked about like the real whole foods discussion? Yeah, well, there are a few things that drive me more bonkers than that. And Mm -hmm. sadly, it's way more common than you think. Mm -hmm. Athletes will ask me about supplements before we've even started talking about what or how much they're eating or drinking. And it's, 
it's a lot like trying to place a bandaid on a much deeper problem because mm-hmm. rather than addressing the real issues like the foods you're eating, how much you're sleeping, you tend to just kind of add more supplements to make up for it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it doesn't really matter what level we're talking about too. I've had big leaguers that have done that and I've had 13 year olds that have done this. Has that been your experience as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If they hear from a friend that's taking it or a parent that heard from someone else that another athlete's taking it, a lot of it goes to the placebo effect too. I mean, there's a lot of hype around the marketing of supplements and the testimonials that go behind supplements. So I think that's a, one of the biggest reasons why people start taking them too is, is that, that hype that comes from, from supplements. Yeah. Is there, is there ever a time when at least in initial counseling with folks is that it's, it's not even like a, a low hanging fruit that you'll consider, meaning that we have so many other glaring things that we're not even going to have the supplement discussion, or is it the kind of thing where you have to at least start to have that discussion because it's a place to kind of meet them where they're at? Exactly. I honestly do have that supplement discussion with them just because I know, I mean, it's a burning question. And I feel like if you completely push it to the side, then they kind of already start your relationship on a, on a bad note because they really want to know about it. So I'm not just going to be like, Oh, you don't need that. Like let's push it aside. I, I educate them on, you know, well, why are you taking this? Let's, let's look at, you know, the, the evidence here, the benefits, you know, let's look at your diet and, and see if you really do need it. So instead of just automatically, you know, saying, nope, you don't need it. Let's get it out of there. I kind of talk them through it so that they can understand and they can make that realization of, Oh, you know what? She's kind of right. I, I don't really need it. Absolutely. Or, or maybe that, or maybe that they do. Mm-hmm. Well, and so let's get more specific. It, you know, with that said, you know, if it is a conversation that comes up early on, are there any, you know, in your opinion, must include supplements that everyone should take regardless of whether they're, you know, a competitive athlete or a weekend warrior? So I really do believe that the majority of people, athletes and non-athletes would benefit from vitamin D supplementation. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's not many supplements that I would say, yeah, must include. But in the case of vitamin D, we really do tend to consume very little from food sources and diet alone has just not been proven to be effective. So mm-hmm. there's very few food sources that are actually good, you know, sources of vitamin D and egg yolks are one of them, but there's only about 40 IUs in a single yolk. Mm-hmm. So if the general guidelines are say between 400 and 800, you're having to eat at least 10 eggs a day to mm-hmm. get to that point. And so it's just not realistic. And so those at the highest risk would be athletes that have a history of stress fractures or bone or joint injuries or mm-hmm. athletes that compete or train indoors. So especially like for athletes in the off season, if they're going to be spending the whole off season in New York, let's say, yeah. well, by the time they get to spring training, you know, would they do those, those testing, the blood testing the first week or two of spring training and physicals. And if their vitamin D levels are crazy low, it's because they just spent so much time indoors in those colder areas of the country. Mm-hmm. And then the last group would be probably athletes with darker skin. So yeah. Hispanic, African-Americans, those for sure would be the ones that I'd particularly want supplementing with vitamin D. Yeah. And that's, that's one that can have really far reaching impacts. We've seen clients that have had, you know, typically the vitamin D deficient like the the classic case is someone who's in Massachusetts all the time, darker skinned. They have mm-hmm. an elbow, ankle, shoulder, knee, and low back that all hurt. Um, you know, it kind of it unifies a lot of different things. Um, I, I know some of those athletes have done infusions to kind of get the ball rolling when they're severely deficient. Has that been something yeah. that you've seen as beneficial, or is it something that's orally is the best way to get the ball rolling? Yeah, well, usually I, I typically say orally, but, mm-hmm. and it's going to be very large doses. And again, mm-hmm. it's going to depend on their blood test overall. Uh-huh. So I, yeah. I, instead of just saying, no, oh, you've been in these colder climates, let's go on 10,000 IUs. Like I, I would like to see a, an actual lab test to see where they're at. But you, like generally I'd say 1,000 to 2,000 IUs. I kind of gear on the like heavier side on 2,000 IUs during the off season, uh, just to kind of be safe. Yeah. Um, would be kind of where I would go. And it's one of the few fat soluble vitamins where toxicity is not a, a massive concern. Didn't they do studies on like Eastern, uh, East German swimmers back in the day who are taking insane amounts that they, they were still totally fine with it? Yeah. 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 It, not as much a concern as say like vitamin A or something. Yeah. And then, and then the other one that would be high on that list of must include, I'd say would probably be omega threes just yeah. because I, in my practice, I see so many inadequate intakes of omega threes. Mm-hmm. And when I assess athletes diets, so, and especially those that are at smaller universities like D2 schools, or mm-hmm. if they're in the minor leagues, they don't really have access to that fresh fatty fish, like salmon or halibut yeah. in their post game meals often. Yeah. So omega-3s are going to really be beneficial for helping to fight inflammation and, yeah. and whatnot, even symptoms of depression. So that would be probably number two on the, the high list of must-include supplements for, for athletes and non-athletes too. 
Yeah, and I'm not sure you want to eat the halibut post game if you're in like <laughs> if you're in the Midwest League in the middle of July. It's probably been out for yeah. seven hours, and you're you're ten hours from the nearest ocean. So exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, with that said, you know, we speak to everyone in in general, kind of there, but you know, I think young athletes are a very special breed, right? They're the most impressionable. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that hear the marketing messages like crazy. Um, you know, and, and obviously it's a, a big chunk of the people who are listening to this podcast, both the players themselves, but also parents and coaches. What are the boxes that, that need to be checked for young athletes before they, they go down the, the supplement path? So I would categorize into three boxes. So mm-hmm. box number one would be, do they have a confirmed deficiency or insufficiency? So this is either a clinical diagnosis by a medical doctor or an assessment by a dietitian. Uh, dietitian. So like if there's a suspected deficiency, I'll have an athlete go get their blood tested. So maybe if they're like, let's say experiencing serious fatigue, then I have them go get, you know, blood tested, see if there's a deficiency present. And then immediately they would start supplementation. Mm -hmm. The most common cases for this would probably be either iron, especially in female athletes, Mm -hmm. uh, and then vitamin D. And then otherwise, by analyzing current nutrition, what they're eating on a daily basis, what they include or exclude from their diet, I can get a better idea of if they're consuming insufficient amounts of a certain nutrient. So in that box, number one, let's say we find out the athlete's not consuming enough vitamin C in their diet. And then they ask me, okay, well, should I supplement with vitamin C? So then box number two would be, is it practical to obtain enough of this nutrient from dietary sources? And how easy would this be to correct just by modifying my diet? Mm -hmm. And in many cases, this is the box that young athletes skip and they just go pretty much straight from skipping the modifying of the diet to I'll just, you know, take a supplement. I'll take a vitamin C gummy. And so that's really where the issue lies because vitamin C, especially if we're using that example, is so easy to get from food sources. Really easy. So then box number three would be, okay, maybe I can't get enough of this certain nutrient from food sources because I'm vegan or vegetarian or because I have a food allergy or intolerance. Then is this supplement I'm going to use both safe and effective? So effective meaning, is there actual evidence that by supplementing with this product, it's going to help me with whatever you're looking for. And then what's the level of evidence? Obviously a high school athlete or really any athlete is going to need to work with a dietitian with this Mm -hmm. because it's, it's going to be a lot easier for them to say right away, you know, yeah, the research is there to support creatine or no glutamine isn't necessary for every single athlete to take. Mm -hmm. So that's the effective part. And then safe meaning is this product third party tested or NSF certified for sport is pretty much the gold standard when it comes to quality and safety for, for athletic supplements. Absolutely. So, you know, if you do have that, you know, and we'll see them occasionally, you know, like the young athletes that are, you know, they're checking every box. They're very attentive to detail and they're eating well, their family's eating well, they're good with sleep and hydration and all that stuff. You know, if those athletes are intrigued, you know, if you have the 17 year old, like where are the places that you, you like to start? Cause you want to have that discussion with high school kids before they go off to college and, you know, they're on their own and they're, they're learning in a locker room instead of in a, you know, a clinical context. Where do you usually start if athletes are interested on going down that supplement path, particularly in the performance realm? Yeah. So, well, first I'd educate them on ones that are actually effective. So I'd say, you know, creatine, caffeine, sure. Those are, those are going to be beneficial, but let's look even deeper at the supplements because Mm -hmm. you can have a really, really crappy creatine supplement. You can have one that has just a bunch of junk, one that's not going to be the best, the best form of creatine. You could have creatine that's mixed into an energy drink or something. And so, you know, talking about looking at ingredients, reading ingredient labels, food labels, just general education on that. So they have a a good understanding of what to look for. They know what logos to look for, uh, what to avoid, especially pre and post workout. And it's a lot of education for sure. But again, I would really honestly start with food first too. So like going over food, what's going to provide you with energy from food sources. So carbohydrates, the vitamins, the minerals from fruits and vegetables, obviously healthy fats, protein, just kind of giving them that basis because that's going to be what really carries them on through the rest of their career. Absolutely. And you know, you, you hinted at it, like what to look for, right? You can get a garbage creatine supplement. There's mm-hmm. certain logos. Let's talk about maybe the darker side of this industry. And there, there definitely is one, you know, obviously the, one of the things that's, that's true about the supplement market is that the margins are very, very high for many companies, right? So that leads some, in many cases, unethical people to this realm. 
Um, and, you know, so we've seen obviously athletes test positive for, you know, various substances they didn't know were in the, the, the actual supplement or there are things that maybe, uh, you know, for some reason the, the governing body didn't disseminate that they had become banned and the athlete continued using a supplement. So mm-hmm. what do people need to watch out for to protect themselves? I'd say both ethically and physiologically. Yeah, well, so just last year, researchers found, I want to say like 800 supplements contained unapproved and dangerous drugs. And mm-hmm. almost all of them were either muscle growth, sexual enhancement, or weight loss. Wow. And 80% of the supplements that they tested contained at least one pharmaceutical that shouldn't have been in the product. Mm-hmm. So 5% contained Prozac, which is an antidepressant. Wow. And a lot of the uh, weight loss supplements contain subutramine, which can increase your risk of heart, attra- heart attack and stroke. Mm-hmm. So, and is obviously uh, illegal and you know, by the FDA. So, yep. obviously, it's going to set you up for risk of failing a drug test. Number one, for a yep. prescription drug, and then number two, if you are taking any medications, you could potentially have a risk of a drug interaction here. And so just to kind of explain the difference, supplements aren't regulated at all by the FDA. They go through what's called post-market approval. So like when you have a prescription drug, before that prescription drug can come out, they go through pre-market. They have to go through clinical trials to prove it's effective, prove it's safety, everything else. Well, basically with a supplement, there's zero regulation. Anyone can legally make and sell a supplement without a single clinical trial, without having to prove that what's on the label is actually in the product mm-hmm. or doing any background checks as far as sanitation or cross-contamination of the facilities. And as long as they're not stating that it will cure a disease, they can pretty much make any claim that they want. So that's why it's so important that athletes and non-athletes, really anyone using supplements, uses a verified quality assurance company like USP or NSF. Those are the two big organizations that really go through and do the job that the FDA isn't really in charge of doing with, with supplements. They go through and they test to make sure that what's on the label is actually what's in the product and you're not getting a ton of other stuff. And and a team USA swimmer just, it's crazy because people assume it's like, oh, well, all I'm taking is a multivitamin or all yeah. I'm taking is a, you know, this or that. Well, a team USA swimmer was just suspended last year for using a banned substance. And the only supplement she was taking was a multivitamin. It's unbelievable. And do you, do you think it's, I mean, obviously it's, it's the unethical practices of some people, right? Like the, you know, some of these are, are illegal ingredients that are winding up in, in supplements, but is it also cross contamination as a concern? Meaning they were, you know, they were produced on the same factory lines as, you know, more pharmaceutical grade compounds. Where are these, like these, you know, terrible, you know, presumably sometimes mishaps taking place on the production side? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I honestly, I think other countries, because when yeah. you look at like the multivitamin situation, it contained a trace amount of a, me- of a medication that's, that was used to treat heart conditions in other countries that's not even approved by the FDA in the U.S. Wow. So it, to me, I'm assuming, and obviously I haven't seen this side personally, but mm-hmm. I'm assuming that supplement companies source out to other countries because it's yep. cheaper, it's more affordable to make. And so if that other country is making other drugs and then you're, you know, like you yeah. said, cross-contaminating – then it could have the teeniest, tiniest little trace of that prescription drug or whatever it might be. And also another thing too, is some supplement companies could do it on purpose because they know that it's going to help. Like in the case of the sexual enhancement drug, if they put the teeniest, tiniest trace of Viagra in there, Mm -hmm. they know that that is going to work. And so you, you feel like you're taking this, you know, over the counter sexual enhancement that's, but it's actually a prescription drug. That's unbelievable to me. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, but, it, but it also speaks to how big the margins are. Like if you can just pop in pharmaceutical grade, you know, compounds to these things, like you're clearly making a lot of money. And that's unfortunately what sometimes draws, you know, less than ethical folks to the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, tell us a few supplement stories. Obviously you, you talked about, you know, the, the swimmer, you know, which obviously you didn't know, but you know, what are some things that you've seen, you know, personally, what makes you cringe as you look back on your, your experiences with supplements? Okay. Well, the first one that comes to mind is kind of just because this is what got me interested in supplements in the first place. It happened about, I want to say five years ago here in Nebraska, and it was at a supplement store in town and their protein powders were tested by a large company called Midwest Laboratories. Mm -hmm. And this company's protein powders stated that it had 24 grams of protein per serving, which is Mm -hmm. pretty normal, but Midwest Labs found it only contained five grams. So what was in it? <laughs> I guess is the, exactly. Is it? Well, what's funny is <laughs> yeah. it contained 700 more times the amount of carbs and sugar than stated on the label. Wow. 
Yeah. So it's crazy because you think you're, and a a lot of it could be, you know, the whey protein concentrate versus the isolate and then uh, everything else. So that's why, again, it's really important to make sure you're getting that, that certified product. But then the other one I would say is this happened more recently. I had an athlete who, cause I always ask athletes to send me pictures, like actual Mm -hmm. photos of every supplement that they're taking. And so I got a picture from an athlete and there were 15, 15 supplements that they were taking every day. My gosh. That's the most. And so they had gone to a, uh, like a naturopath. And so mm-hmm. they were taking a lot of adrenal and, you know, one for sleep and the CoQ10 and just mm-hmm. so many supplements that weren't even NSF certified for sport or anything else. So, so that was the most by far, uh, that I've, I've seen in an athlete. You know, what's an interesting line on the side of this is so a lot of times we have athletes that will, um, you know, come to us for training or whatever, and, you know, they'll be from somewhere else. So we need to find a, you know, in many cases, like a manual therapist in San Francisco, right? So what I'll often mm-hmm. do is I'll go to the active release website and I'll go to the Graston technique website. I'll plug in their zip code and I'll cross reference it. And I'll say, all right, if, if we find someone in this area that has both like a focal soft tissue modality and they have something that's maybe more diffuse, hopefully I cross reference, I go to this person's website. Maybe they also do some dry needling, all this. And I've found like the perfect manual therapist right down the street. Yeah. And, and invariably what winds up happening and they get like crossed off the list immediately is a lot of times you get like a chiropractor that, that uh-huh. does both these things and you go to the website and the first thing you see is like that, you know, it's, it's like supplements front and center. And oh, that yeah. for me, that for me is like the biggest red flag. If you're like a, you know, if you're an allied health professional, you know, in this realm, presumably the, you know, basically the sports medicine realm, biomechanics, all that stuff. And you go front and center with, with supplements as your first thing. I'm like, I just, mm-hmm. I don't feel great about this. Um, you know, just, I, I don't feel like it's your, I don't want to say your lane. Cause I think that comes across as maybe divisive, but, um, right. you know, for me, it's just like, this isn't the place we should be starting. If we're talking about making somebody healthy, supplements are not our first path. So, um, yeah, that for I me is like a red agree. flag. And I'm sure you see it a lot too. Like people who, you know, are, are effectively out, you know, stepping outside their realm of expertise expertise, particularly with respect to, you know, supplements and, and obviously nutrition. Right. And a lot of it goes back to, you know, what's the commission they're making on that? Is it really because it's effective and helpful or are they getting yeah. something out of you buying their product? Yeah. So building on that, where, where are the, where are supplement consumers wasting their money the most? Like what supplements, you know, to you are an absolute waste? So the number one thing, especially I see this most common in high school, mm-hmm. high school athletes would be mass gainer powders <laughs> oh, gosh, because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's literally just straight up like maltodextrin is really one of the first ingredients. It's a ton of cornstarch and then it mixed with protein powders and just about a hundred other additives in there. Yeah. And it's funny because athletes will come to me for weight gain and they're already taking this mass gainer. And I'll say, well, you know, how long have you been taking this? Oh, probably like five or six months. Well, obviously that supplement really isn't number one, doing much for you. And number two, their calories are still regardless, so low. It's it's just mm-hmm. a matter of they're not eating enough food. So instead I educate them on, okay, let's take the mass gainer out, number one. And then let's see how we can instead, if they want to do the same, you know, smoothie type thing, yeah. you could easily make a thousand, 1500 calorie smoothie if you wanted from, you know, adding things like, just regular protein powder with oats and yogurt and bananas and peanut butter and all these other ingredients. Absolutely. Those things are, oh my gosh. Most of the time you spend half your day in the bathroom when you start taking them as well. What's your, what's your go-to skinny guy smoothie? If you had to pick one, what's the most popular one you've ever had? Uh, okay. So we do two bananas. Mm -hmm. We do at least like a cup and a half of whole milk. And then they either do a scoop of like whole fat yogurt or they might do a scoop or two of protein powder. It's just kind of mm-hmm. personal preference there. Mm-hmm. We do peanut butter, mm-hmm. oats. Uh, sometimes, depending on the client, I might have them add some coconut oil too. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, I'm trying to think what else we put in there. I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. I might be forgetting a few things, but the, the other nice thing about smoothies that, that I've learned over the years is you can sneak vegetables in there. Like you can put spin- oh, spinach, spinach yes, in course. a smoothie and yes. nobody even knows. I mean, kale's a lot tougher cause it's a little more bitter, but like spinach yeah. is a, is a go-to for a lot. It just gives you kind of a green tint. So hopefully yes, I totally forgot that. Yeah. that. That's a good one, especially for high school athletes that don't really love to like sit and eat a bunch of veggies. It's, it's a really easy way to get them in. Absolutely. All right. So mass gainers are number one. What's another one yep. that when you see it on the list, it dr- kind of drives you bonkers. 
Uh, well, the biggest one would be fat burners for sure, yeah. just because there's zero proof that they actually work. And yeah. a lot of the times they have a ton of caffeine. So yeah. you're just going to mess up your sleep schedule, which if you're not sleeping, that's going to be even more detrimental to burning fat. Mm-hmm. So that would be up there. Another one I wouldn't say is the biggest waste of money, but BCAAs is probably pretty high up there just mm-hmm. because most strength and power athletes are already getting above the BCAAs necessary through like, mm-hmm. it, as long as you're eating complete protein sources and making that a priority in your diet, you're getting Mm -hmm. plenty of BCAAs. It's not necessary. Do you see those as advantageous for people who are severely restricting calories and things like that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. If you, if you have a very restrictive diet, if you're Mm -hmm. an endurance athlete, like I, I work with quite a few endurance athletes, ultra runners, triathlon, Ironman. And so in some cases I will have them supplement with BCAAs too. Uh, vegan vegetarians may find them a little bit more advantageous advantageous as well. But Mm -hmm. the ones that are using them are usually the ones that don't really need to be using them. Absolutely. All right. So we, we, we started off on like the, we'll do kind of like a mini lightning round on some of the like hot supplements. So BCAAs were one I was going to ask you about. What about like collagen protein? Cause that's, that's all of a sudden become very, very hot. Um, I'd say over the last maybe two years, is that, is that something Mm -hmm. you've noticed as well? Yeah. Well, and I think it, for good reason, for mm-hmm. some good reason, because there is more research coming out, especially with athletes coming back from injuries, like ACL tears, things like that. Mm-hmm. Potential benefit in terms of joint health, building healthy ligaments and tendons, osteoarthritis. But the important note here is that you should consume it along with vitamin C, and that's crucial for your body's natural production of collagen, but also helps with the absorption there of of collagen too. And you'll find like some, I know Clean Athlete has like a supplement that's that's vitamin C plus collagen, so it's Mm -hmm. already all in one there. And the other thing to note is I notice a lot of people are switching like normal protein powder for collagen instead, but collagen Mm -hmm. is actually not a complete protein. It lacks some amino acids, tryptophan. And I think it's really, if I remember right, it's really low in methionine maybe too. Mm -hmm. And it's also not the greatest source of leucine compared to like whey protein. So in terms of just replacing it for a protein powder, I'd say it's Mm -hmm. probably not the best option, but if you're Mm -hmm. looking at it from a joint health perspective, it could definitely be beneficial. Absolutely. What about like protein powders in, in maybe a general sense? Like I know you mentioned it with the smoothie and then obviously with the collagen discussion, where do you see it fitting in for, for most people? For most people, well, first and foremost, before, like if I'm working with high school, college, whatever athlete, I, I want to make sure that they're getting enough protein from their diet already. And if they're adding additional protein powder and if maybe they're trying to lose weight, then that's something where like maybe we can talk about, well, what's in your protein powder? Is there a ton of added sugar in there? Is there, you know, what, what's all in there? Mm-hmm. But I do think that protein powders could be convenient and really effective, especially in like the post workout mm-hmm. stage. If you're traveling, like if you have a long drive home from the gym and mm-hmm. you just need a quick uh, protein shake, then I think mm-hmm. it's definitely beneficial. But I think it's just really important that you make sure you're using a high-quality protein powder, like the whey protein isolate. I talked already about that situation in Nebraska where they were, like, way falsely labeling the protein powder. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you're using a quality powder. And if you don't eat dairy and you can't do the whey protein, then if you're using a plant-based protein powder, just make sure it contains a blend of different protein sources and not Mm -hmm. just, like, one protein source so that Mm -hmm. you're getting a very similar amino acid content to that of, like, whey protein. And I've actually done a few reviews of protein powders on my website, one that's on whey and one that's on plant-based that'll go over like what to look for on the ingredient list and what mm-hmm. products are safe and effective to take. Awesome. What about um, like the actual sweetener aspect of it? Because there's, there's obviously some not so great options in terms of artificial sweeteners and some that are maybe better than others. Where do you stand in that kind of debate? Yeah. So I think it depends on the person. If they're having GI issues and if they're doing, like, I especially see this in pre-workout supplements. If they are consuming a pre-workout supplement and they're getting like terrible bloating, gas, everything else, well, it kind of goes back to those artificial sweeteners or especially sugar alcohols. But if there's a little bit in your protein powder, especially something like stevia, stevia Mm -hmm. is supposedly it's not going to show really any negative side effects like things Mm -hmm. like sucralose would. So that would be the number one I would look for. But again, I think it depends on the person because you have some people that tolerate small amounts of sucralose and artificial sweeteners completely fine. And in small levels, they haven't been shown to be that negative towards health. I personally kind of steer away from them just because when you think of artificial sweeteners, they're usually added to highly processed foods. And so I try to say, you know, if you're going to use something with a little bit of stevia, that's okay. But 
let's let's try to get away from especially that the sugar alcohols would be the, the biggest one I'd kind of steer clear from. Absolutely. Um, so probiotics got probably a lot of attention. What was it? Maybe six or 12 months ago where, you know, I think all the national like news outlets came out and said that they may not be as good as we, we previously thought. Um, mm-hmm. ha- have your mindsets on probiotics changed over the years? Where were they five years ago versus now? Where do you stand? They change like every year, <laughs> I think. I mean, it's constantly changing because probiotics, I think would especially be helpful. It, they're shown helpful for athletes with IBS or with ulcerative colitis mm-hmm. or who just spend time on antibiotics. So if you yeah. just had to be on antibiotics for say like a week at a time, then probiotics could be helpful. The other one that's not really talked about that I've personally experienced here would be if someone is traveling like overseas, if you have yeah. an athlete playing in Japan or Korea, well, this can really help reduce incidence of like traveler's diarrhea. Yeah. So that could be another instance where it could be beneficial. And then I know a recent study came out about upper respiratory infections, which is pretty much like the common cold, that it could potentially help reduce the incidence in athletes. But obviously, there just needs to be more research. And I think that's that's the problem is there's so many unanswered questions as far as which strands are best and comparing the effectiveness of supplements to whole food sources like fermented foods. And then you have the issue of like food companies adding probiotics to random things like gummies or gosh, like so many foods on the market are like probiotic infused. And Mm -hmm. it's likely that that bacteria won't even remain active by the time that you actually consume them. So Mm -hmm. I know our country in particular consumes probably the lowest amount of probiotics overall compared to like other countries like Asia. And they're having things like kimchi and miso and and tempeh. There's so many other foods that are so common in their diet that are fermented. But over here, we don't really eat a ton of fermented food. Uh, so I think first and foremost, if you can consume more fermented foods, that would be awesome. And then yeah. also the food for probiotics is prebiotics. So making yeah. sure that you're eating, which is the same thing as fiber pretty much. So as long as you're eating things like fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes, that, that's going to provide the food for those healthy gut bacteria, which is what probiotics are. Absolutely. If you are going to take a probiotic, are there certain things to, to look for or to watch out for? Like my business partner, Shane in Florida, you met Shane. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Shane's, Shane's like a big GI nerd just because of some of the stuff he's gone through. And he's like, you know, adamant about trying to avoid like a, you know, going with like a dairy free probiotic. Um, what are the things that you look for the most? Yeah, I think it depends on the person for sure. Mm-hmm. I look for, of course, any type of third party testing. Uh, yeah. I look for strands to see if it's, you know, if it's just one singled out strand, it's probably not going to be as effective as say one that's like a 10 plus mm-hmm. and just kind of compare the, the products. And I, I work with a couple athletes who have had some pretty serious GI issues like, uh, like J pouch. I have three clients with, with J pouches. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be really dependent on what they tolerate best. And so it's kind of a little bit of, you know, trial and error too. To to see what, what works best for them and, and their symptoms. Absolutely. Um, so you, you we kind of also, you hinted at glutamine a little bit earlier and, you know, it, it, glutamine was like a rage when I was, you know, in college. It was really, really big. I, I guess I don't hear nearly as much about it anymore. Maybe mm-hmm. it's because I'm intelligent not to read like mainstream <laughs> muscle magazines anymore. Is glutamine still like a thing you see on a daily basis? Like everybody talks about it because I don't feel like I hear about it at all anymore. Yeah. Well, you, you heard about it in the age mm-hmm. where like, increasing muscle mass was the belief and that's been proven not not true it's not going to increase your muscle mass like a lot of people once believed but now that gut health is becoming more talked about i Mm -hmm. think that's why glutamine has kind of gotten this like second wind so because it can be beneficial for your gut and for your immune system Mm -hmm. but it's one of those conditionally essential amino acids so it's not one that like every single athlete needs for, you know, improved gut health. But in some instances, like again, in the case of like, let's say IBS or uh, other GI disorders, I think it really could be beneficial. Yeah. Wasn't it? I mean, I I remember a lot of the research was on like uh, cancer patients and like critically injured, like burn victims, things like that, like severe, like clinical context. And I I always remember like thinking about that. I'm like, I'm not sure that that's necessarily (laughs) relatable to a bodybuilder. Exactly. Yeah. There was this belief that it could really help, I think, with like the muscle protein synthesis stage. Like people thought that if they consumed it post-workout, it was going to like help enhance your muscle protein synthesis. But that's proven to not be true. 
Um, so we're gonna we're gonna open the the creatine can of worms because like I know you can talk about a million things on this. So I personally yeah. have been on creatine since two thousand one. Um, happy to That's report a long time. That, that after eighteen years I am not dead. So it, <laughs> it's, it, it appears to be safe. You can write an n equals one case study on me if you need to. <laughs> I have used boring, plain old powdered creatine monohydrate from day one. Um, mm-hmm. I remember starting creatine monohydrate. I, I did the loading even, didn't notice a thing. I was a complete non-responder, but the research was yeah. even then so compelling that I was like, all right, I'll use this forever. Um, and, and, you know, and sure enough, like once I got to the University of Connecticut for my grad degree years later, like, you know, they were doing studies on astronauts preventing sarcopenia and, and, mm-hmm. you know, and muscle loss in outer space and all these different things. So it, it kind of became very accepted. Um, so certainly when this takes place, you obviously get, all the different perspectives on, do I load it? Do I just take five grams a day for a month? Do I take creatine monohydrate or do I look for something more souped up? Where do you stand? Like if, if I'm a 17 year old kid who has my diet in line and I come in and say, I want to use creatine. What's your, uh, what's your recommendation for me? So I'd say three to five grams is what I typically recommend. Mm-hmm. Creatine monohydrate is the cheapest and it's the most effective form. Mm-hmm. So with the athlete, again, I would first look at their diet. Yep. Of course, if they're you know eating healthy as can be, then I'd say, all right, great, let's look into creatine. NSF certified for sport, of course, some safe product overall that doesn't have a ton of other additives to it. I am mm-hmm. not a big, and I don't know if if you did this, that's totally fine. I don't really recommend the loading phase yeah, just I don't because either. there's yeah, there's just really not substantial evidence to show it's even necessary. Yep. I think for vegan and vegetarians, I may actually start out higher just because they do have really low levels of phosphocreatine. So Mm -hmm. I may say at least, you know, 10 grams instead of five grams, but I still even then don't really think the loading phase would be necessary because Mm -hmm. you're going to get to that point anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, creatine is one of those supplements that just has been really heavily researched. And I I definitely do recommend it to quite a few people, but you will have the non-responders. You will have people that say like, I literally don't tell a difference. And then you'll have the people too, that might have a bit of the placebo effect that might feel like, holy cow, I feel amazing. And the placebo effect, I, I honestly think that it is huge in baseball. Like I noticed this and you know this, I mean, it's so, there's so much superstition in baseball. And so I feel like if a player this, this, I actually see with kind of off topic, but I see a lot with like pre-workout supplements. Yeah or, you know, pre-workout powders. And so if a player goes like three for four using a new pre-workout, then chances are they're going to use that over and over again until they <laughs> yes. go like over oh, five. Yeah, and then and they're, they're gonna, like, Oh, <laughs> as they wear their same underwear for like the 10th day in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, Oh, you know, this doesn't have any hits in it. Like one time I was like, Oh, like, did you, how come you're not using that one anymore? Oh, it didn't, didn't have any more hits in it. So now I'm using this one. <laughs> like what? This is the world we're up against. Um, yeah. You know, that, and, and it's funny, you know, what I, what I actually like about having the creatine discussion and honestly, like we have, you know, folks on staff who do it more than I do, but athletes actually have context. Everyone who asks you about creatine has taken high school biology. They've, yeah. under, they've understood what adenosine triphosphate is and mm-hmm. they realize that we're here to replenish phosphates. Like this, this isn't yeah. hard. So I kind of explain it as like a calorie on the microscopic level. And it seems to relate a little bit more. It's a substrate for high intensity exercise more than it is just like a compound that is going to lead to you becoming a cocaine user or something like that. Down yes. the road. So it's an easier pill to swallow. I think for, for parents who are very concerned about that aspect of I think there's just this false, I don't know what, if it comes from the name or what, but it's almost just like this bad aura that comes with creatine. And it's, it's a lot from high school parents too. They're like, Oh, yeah. well, I don't want my, and the, and the kid might be 18, you know, going into college and it'd be like, oh, I just, I just really don't want them to get started on creatine. And I don't think they realize it's naturally produced by your body. It's yeah. not, it's not a steroid. It's not, it's nothing, you know, unnatural. There's nothing unnatural about it. You, you get it from eating things like steak and, yeah. and fish. You and very, very small amounts. Yeah. You can't contraindicate yeah. going out for a steak dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, once you kind of, but again, it's just a matter of explaining that because a lot of people, they don't, they, they don't know these things. And so it's important to kind of educate on how effective it can be for your performance, especially when you're talking about increasing your strength and power by five to 15%. Like that is huge. And of course, it's going to be more beneficial in the athletes that are, uh, I guess a little bit undertrained. Like the yeah. elite athletes probably won't see a 15% jump. They might see closer to maybe a 1%, but even a 1% is big in yeah. elite sports. So, uh, the, the, those undertrained athletes may see the bigger effect there, but 
Um, but still it's, it's definitely beneficial. Absolutely. Do you, um, I mean, you hinted at the kind of the pre-workout pre-game, um, type stuff, like where, where do you, I mean, obviously energy drinks, things like that are, are concerning. You know, we see a lot of hospitalizations on them, particularly because it's a sign of a bigger problem where kids aren't fueling themselves correctly, that they feel like they need that. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, pre-workouts is a big kind of category though. What, what do you see underneath that umbrella and how do you feel about it? So, well, it's honestly just a whole cluster of different things. Like yeah. caffeine, I would say is probably the the number one that I would recommend, but mm-hmm. not in the form of like the energy drinks, the yeah. bang, those. And, and the reason for that is a lot of people don't realize this. What's on the label can actually vary significantly. Yeah. So if it says, say, 300 milligrams, which, by the way, is a ton. But if it says 400 milli- 300, 400 milligrams on the label then it could actually have what research is finding closer to maybe 500 or maybe as low as 200. So you don't really know the exact amount. Uh, so that I'm a little hesitant about with caffeine and then especially hesitant with like uh, proprietary blends, oh, yeah. because that's something where if it's mixed in there, you have no clue how much caffeine you're getting either. So when pre-workouts have that proprietary blend, I'm really hesitant about that overall. But I do think caffeine, especially in like a natural form, coffee, espresso, those kinds of things, would be the number one source I would recommend about 30 minutes, 45 minutes before. And then the other big one would be nitrates or, or beetroot powder is becoming more and more common. The one issue I've personally seen is GI upset with athletes. For some athletes, it just does not settle as well. Mm-hmm. So, and obviously I would love to say like, oh, just drink beetroot juice before, yeah. but you have to drink a ton of beet, like yeah. probably 16 to 20 ounces of beetroot juice before. So the, in that case, I say the supplement form, that powdered form would be much more realistic. Absolutely. When you hear proprietary blend, is that basically just like, Hey, we're going to throw whatever we want in here and you're going to deal with it. It's, oh, it's, totally. it's, it's caffeine, snake oil, unicorn tears, <laughs> like whatever they want. So, um, you yeah. know, and I, I always come back to it and, um, um, you know, like what's coffee is actually pretty well researched. Like I, so yeah. I, I'll give you like a really brief story that, that I'm, I'm like a hardcore, like coffee defender. Um, I, I joke that I, I have, you know, basically blood in my, my coffee stream and not vice versa, but my, my grandfather had, um, Alzheimer's as he, as he progressed in life. And, mm-hmm. um, when he was about 80, um, he had had polio when he was young. So he had one leg that, that really did not work well. And then when he was about 80, he fell on the ice and he broke his kneecap on the other leg. So for the last eight years of his life, he was not nearly as active. Um, so he basically, you know, would not move nearly as much. He was a lot more watching TV and sitting there and his, his, his disease symptoms, as you could probably expect, like it, they became significantly more pronounced, like his cognition mm-hmm. went down and all of that. But what I thought was the most interesting is my grandfather was that guy. He could drink coffee at like nine o'clock at night and then fall asleep. It was like non, <laughs> not like, and so what happened is my grandmother would make him a cup of coffee and he would take a sip of it and he'd set it down. And he'd forget he had it. And then two hours later he'd find it and he'd be like, who the hell serves cold coffee? And so God bless her. She would heat it up and it was, we, we loved him to death. But what was hilarious is he actually drank coffee all day and, you know, it may have been two hmm. cups over the course of, you know, all his wake flowers or everything. But what was interesting is a couple of years after he passed away, um, some research actually came out that caffeinated drip coffee helped to offset some of the symptoms of Alzheimer's. Like, so we, in hindsight, we looked at it and we're like, wow, he may have been self-medicating all these years without us even knowing it. And it, it caused me to, to like kind of look a little bit deeper and, and you can speak to these way better than I can, but there's actually quite a few health benefits to just drinking coffee, obviously in moderation, correct? Yeah, I have seen that. I've actually seen a little bit with, like you said, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease, uh, cardiovascular disease. Uh, but again, I mean, the, the percentages is it, it's difficult because there's so many different studies here that we're kind of yeah. comparing and contrasting. We can't just say like coffee reduces cardiovascular disease. Exactly. I think that's pretty, you know, big, big, bold statement there. But, uh, I think overall it's, it's beneficial and from a performance standpoint too beneficial because once you have, you know, you, I think they say about 150 milligrams of caffeine. If you're having that say 45 minutes before your workout, yep. that's going to improve that mental stamina, mm-hmm. uh, overall of, you know, and, and so that in turn can affect even the non-athletes if you're having issues with at work or, you know, just needing that mental stamina during the day. I think that's going to be very beneficial. Absolutely. My go-to is like a tiny bit of vanilla protein powder in coffee. Ooh, yeah. That if sounds good. Basic. I love coffee. I'm yeah. drinking it right now. There you I'm go. And, and right hey, I promise you I'm the last person to judge you. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, um, so those are some interesting ones for sure. And, and we, we checked a few different boxes. Are there any other ones that like really jump out as like, this concerns me? Like, you know, you'll see stuff like some of those have like niacin in it where people get like the flush feeling. Um, yeah. are there any like must includes or must avoids that are out there on the market that are big conversation topics? Um, I think the must, I wouldn't say must include, but other safe ones that I do tend to occasionally recommend would be beta alanine or sodium bicarb. But I think those have more side effects than say caffeine or beetroot in terms of like talking pre-workout. So, and those are more for like really specific, like a buffering agent. So it's going to be for like the short term. It's not going to be for like the vulture runner or something like that. But I think again, I mean, creatine is kind of where I go back quite a bit. Uh, caffeine, I go back quite a bit. I'm trying to think what else. I think uh, another thing that kind of like makes me cringe, it's not really necessarily, I guess you could classify it as a supplement, but it's when food companies just add protein to like junk foods, like they're putting protein in like ice cream or cookies or pizza or potato chips. I see that kind of becoming more of an issue. Mm -hmm. And so the protein ice cream or the protein cookies, I think those are things that People are being misled into thinking that they're a lot more nutritious than they really are. Uh, so that's something I would say to watch out for. Not necessarily harmful unless mm-hmm. it's, you know, yeah, lots of added sugar or added sodium. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. You mentioned sodium bicarbonate. Is the, has the biggest concern with that been the, the gastrointestinal side effects? Of, yes. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if you're, are you familiar with this? So AMP is a new product that just came out. That's actually a topical rub. Um, it's a sodium oh, bicarbonate. Yeah. It's actually, uh, I know it because a, a friend of mine from, from graduate school is actually on their board, but they have a pretty interesting, you know, kind of, uh, you know, collection of PhDs that are involved on it. And it's, it's a topical rub. So it kind of bypasses the gastrointestinal stress and they've got some pretty good, um, kind of momentum in like the cycling community and some of the endurance athletes. So that's kind of a cool thing to check out. Yeah, we've, we've, that's we've, awesome. we've tried it out a little bit with some of our throwers and stuff too. So it's, it's very early, but very exciting. So, um, that's the nature of this industry is just very dynamic, right? There's new Constantly stuff. Constantly changing and, every and, day. Yeah. And so that's an interesting, like little aside, um, and maybe a beers off course. Like there are a lot of people here who are, you know, either invested in terms of their education with respect to nutrition, like, you know, they're aspiring RDs and things like that. Um, are, and then there are also athletes who are very, um, you know, kind of intuitive with this stuff. Where do you look for your information? Like if you want to stay on top of the latest reach, I mean, is it just literally hit, hit up PubMed and type in sports nutrition and spend a few hours or are there certain places that you go for your info? Okay. So honestly, number one, just because I love the format of the website is examine.com. Yeah, Do you ever go there? Yeah, absolutely. They're awesome people too. Oh my gosh. I, yes. And I just, I love how it just like simply says if it's like a minor effect or a major effect. And then right there, it shows you like, like, let's take, for example, creatine. I'm sure, I'm sure creatine's on there. I've yeah. probably seen it many times there, but it'll say on the side, you know, maybe it'll say, um, effects on brain health. Cause I know that's kind of more talked about with creatine. It'll tell you how many studies there currently are. And then you can just click right there and see pretty much every study. It takes really a lot of the guesswork in the PubMed, you know, searching for certain keywords out of it. So examine is probably the first place I go. Yeah. Uh, I have a quite a few different like sports nutrition books. One of my favorites is this guide to sports supplements book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of old. It's maybe like 2010. So it's a little, the research is a little outdated. But I do like it just for like quick reference. Uh, I do another research site I like is uptodate.com just -hmm. because obviously they're constantly changing the, the new research studies. I'm trying to think what else. Precision nutrition, I think has great, great articles too. Absolutely. Uh, Very comprehensive. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, so here's a question for you. You know, in, in our industries, we always have those things that we stare off into blackness at 3am thinking about, like, what's the answer to this? Where do you feel like we need better research? Um, what, what is something that like jumps out at you? Ooh, that's a good question. I think just in general, long-term studies. So like, here's your like N, N equals one on creatine. I think yeah. that's awesome. You've taken yeah. it for like 20 years. Yeah. I would love to see the effect of that on, on different diets, like things yeah. like intermittent fasting, especially is something I've been studying a lot more, mm-hmm. uh, recently, just because the, the research is pretty, it's pretty exciting for sure. But again, all the studies are really short. So I would love to see this in terms of a, you know, several years from now. I'm trying to think in terms of supplements though. Gosh, that's a hard question. I'm not sure. All right. Well, that's a good time. So uh, we'll, we'll jump around then a little bit. So, um, I actually sent you this article cause I'm, I'm actually really intrigued. I know. So yeah. you are, you are full, full blown vegan. 
correct? In your, no, in oh, okay. no, no, no. Okay. I'm a, so I'm yeah. a vegetarian. So I, okay. I, I yeah. Okay. Vegetarian. Excuse me. I eat okay. vegetarian. And then Cody is a modification on that. Correct. He, yeah, he's pescatarian, also somewhat eating. He pretty much just doesn't eat red meat is, is pretty much it. Okay. So, um, I'm, I'm curious. So the whole food CEO basically yesterday came out and said that a plant-based meat boom that's, that's taking place currently is really good for the environment, but it may not be good for your, for your health overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm going to try to find the quote for you. Um, he said, the brands who are capturing the imagination of people, and I'm not going to name these brands because I'm afraid I'll be associated with the critique of it, but some of these that are extremely popular now that are taking the world by storm. If you look at the ingredients, they're super highly processed foods. Mm-hmm. He goes on to say, I don't think eating highly processed foods is healthy. I think people thrive on eating whole foods. As for health, I will not endorse that. And that is about as big of a criticism that I will do in public. Um, What's your take on that? I mean, obviously, there are more and more people that are going to kind of these alternative, you know, I guess, protein sources as they, you know, they restrict animal consumption. Um, and there's more and more, you know, companies that are capitalizing on it. What do people need to watch out for from a, a pure nutritional standpoint as they consider these products? Yeah, well, first of all, I agree with what he said 100 mm-hmm. percent. I think that there's a huge just gap here between the purpose of going plant based and then eating something like that, mm-hmm. because you're so far from eating real plants. If you look yeah. at the ingredient list, it's there's really not any plants there compared to if you were to eat, say, like a black bean burger that's made with flax and other things like that. But also, it's kind of a good stepping point for someone who's going from eating, say, like a full meat diet to trying to make that transition. Because obviously, if you say like, hey, I know you're eating the cheeseburger every day for lunch, like now eat this salad with whatever, it's going to be really hard for them to make that transition. So I think in terms of going more plant based, it could kind of serve as a step, but it's definitely not a healthier alternative than I, I think than the beef, just because it's still got pretty much the same amount of sodium and saturated fat. So you're not really making a healthier choice there in terms of, of uh, nutrients, but maybe in terms of environment, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think instead people should focus on that more plant-based food. So how can I incorporate more actual whole plant foods, beans, lentils, uh, tempeh, tofu, things like that? Absolutely. Well, this has been very, very insightful. I've actually learned a lot on this, which is, is always Good. makes for a best podcast. Where can folks uh, find out more about you, Angie? So they can find me on Instagram or my website, which is all Elite Nutrition. So E-L-E-A-T Nutrition. Uh, yeah. And one of my favorite Instagram accounts, uh, not just oh, from like thanks. an information standpoint, but like recipes and, and tons of really good interaction with your followers, followers. Whereas Thank you. Thank I feel you. like most, most nutrition accounts we, we follow are just like pretty food pics and no content. And, <laughs> um, but this one is actually very insightful. So I definitely encourage you to give Angie a follow. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time for, uh, for coming on and, um, this is going to be a popular one. I can tell. Thank you so much for having me. You got it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.